Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Grotto. 
Welcome to the 53rd anniversary of the Woodstock Music Festival back in 1969. Uh, it was uh, this week marked uh, the anniversary, uh, 15th through the 19th, actually through the 18th, three days. And uh, Woodstock, you know, Woodstock Music and Art Fair is what it was originally billed as. And it was held uh, August 15th through the 18th. 1969 at Max Yasker's Dairy Farm in Bethel, New York, which was about 40 miles southwest of the, the original town of Woodstock. And it was billed as an Aquarian Exposition, three days of peace and music, and alternatively, or, yeah, alternatively referred to as the Woodstock Rock Festival. It attracted an audience more than 400,000. Okay, 32 acts, you know, everybody's heard of this, you know, <laughs> 32 acts were performed outdoors despite, despite the sporadic rain. The festival became widely regarded as a, as a pivotal moment, you learn how to talk, as a pivotal moment in popular music history, as well as a defining event for the counterculture generation. Yes, I was a member of that counterculture, still am, in my heart. And uh, the evening's significance was reinforced by a 1970 documentary film, which was released about a year later, and an accompanying sound, soundtrack album. And uh, that song you just heard, uh, Woodstock, done by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, uh, written by Joni Mitchell, who uh, couldn't make, actually, the show, uh, music events bearing the Woodstock name were planned for anniversaries, included the 10th, 20th, 25th, 20th, 30th, 40th, and 50th. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine listed it as number 19 of the 50 moments that change the history of rock and roll uh, of all the moments. So the festival site is also on the National Register of historic places now so you can go and visit and you know be remember that energy if you were originally a, an attendee or go and be there you know whenever a piece of ground like that has that many people on it all thinking uh alike acting as one mind one heart it changes the place you know uh and uh that place will always be like that it was it was an amazing concert. Um, it fought it fought with all kinds of difficulty, uh, logistically and everywhere else, and but they still managed to pull it off. They got it off. They lost their shirts doing it. Uh, the backers and the partners and so forth. But uh, of course they re regained it <laughs> years later. But uh, uh, it was it was pretty tense. So tonight on the Daddy G Show, you're going to hear some some of those uh, clips of music that came out of that rock festival, Woodstock Rock Festival. And the first guy we're going to feature, of course, is the guy who opened the show. Uh, his name, of course, was Richie Havens, and Richie was scheduled to come on. Uh, he was about number five in the original lineup of uh, talent. But as at 
as it happened, the ears had shown up yet. They were all caught in traffic, stuck on the freeway, pulled over by the, you know, and they simply could not get to the venue. Okay. So, uh, Richie Havens was there. They said, Richie, just go ahead and open it up. And he, he performed for like an hour. He, he, you know, sang that all the songs that he knew, you know, in his entire repertoire. And then, uh, at the very last, he, uh, trying to read and, and talk at the same time. Uh, at the last, he, he wound up just doing this one song, and it turned out to be his signature song, and he made it up on the fly. This is, this is the song he did, you know, Richie Havens. He made it up as he went along. It was, you know, it was all he knew, you know. So here we go. Richie Havens opening up. The festival. Here we go. Guitar of mic, please. Guitar mic.
Baby, wanna tell what I'm talking about? 
Give me a U. Give me a C. Give me a K. What's that spell? 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 Well, come on, all of you big, strong men. Uncle Sam needs your help again. Got himself in a terrible jam Way down yonder in Vietnam Put down your books and pick up a gun We're gonna have a whole lot of fun And it's one, two, three What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn The next stop is Vietnam And it's five, six, seven Open up the pearly gates Well, there ain't no time to wonder why Woo-hoo, We're all gonna die now come on, Wall Street, don't be slow. I man this war a go-go. There's plenty good money to be made. Flying the army with the tools of the trade. Just hope and pray that if they drop the bomb, they're dropping on the Viet Cong. And it's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. The next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven. Open up the pearly gates. Well, ain't no time to wonder why We're all gonna die Now come on, generals, let's move fast Your big chance is here at last Now you can go out and get those reds Cause the only good commie is one that's dead And you know that teeth can only be one When they're blowing them all the kingdom come Sing it! One, two, three What are we fighting for? People, I don't know how you expect to ever stop the war if you can't sing any better than that. There's about 300,000 of you fuckers out there. I want you to start singing. Come on. And it's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. The next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven. Open up the I hear the music, I smell the smells, and they are a variety of smells between the marijuana and, you know, the fact that there weren't really any um, facilities for bathing and stuff, except for Filipino Pond, which many people um, did take advantage of. I was not one of them. I did not get naked. (laughs) I was 17. I was still a little shy. To see that many people in one place on the same page for three days, laughing, crying, kissing, hugging, sharing. This was a hippie attitude. That's, I'm still a hippie. 
and I'll never not be a hippie because that's my life. I've never been with so many people, let alone 400,000 people, who are all of the same purpose and uh, there for the same thing, which is music, peace, and love. And, uh, and that was very life-changing. My girlfriend and I were babysitting, and we had an option of taking a ride to Woodstock in lieu of payment. And so we took it. And they dropped us off at the corner of 17B in Monticello. And we walked 11 miles to get to the concert. And that was Saturday morning at 6 a.m. And we arrived at noon on Saturday. We rented a house in the little village of Woodstock. It was time to do the show. They took us to Kingston and put us in a Holiday Inn. And uh, that night we were partying with the Who, the Jefferson Aeroplane. Gonna spend a night there and then they're gonna come pick us up in the morning in helicopters. The helicopters looked like something they used in the Korean War or something. They called them grasshoppers in those days. Yeah. And I said, man, let's go. I was high enough to go. And so we got on the helicopter. And all of a sudden, slowly but surely, the people got more and more and more going up the highway. And the parked cars and the people walking. And it was a long distance, you know, 50 miles maybe. Before we got back, it was still up in the air. I couldn't believe the amount of people below me. It was just totally amazing. I mean, I've never seen so many people in one place in my life. It may have been Sly in this Family Stone's performance. As, you know, it was probably, I look in my journal that I kept, it was probably in the wee hours of the morning when they came out and everybody's energy was lagging a little bit, but it came right back up and all those hundreds of thousands of people were uh, alive and enjoying themselves again. I, I, I think my favorite was Santana. Um, Janice was just incredible lie in the family stone. They were so dynamic and brought everybody to their feet and it was everything was amazing. Everything was amazing. I loved it. Sly Stone. He was incredible. That band was the hottest thing happening. Performers. No one performed like they did. Uh, no one was as exciting as them. Watching them perform. I mean uh, they were a real show band. Not only that, but they had the tunes to back all that up. Uh, R&B wasn't even rock and roll, man. You know what I mean? Drugs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was a cloud of marijuana over the whole area. Um, but don't take the brown acid was, was one of the things that was told. I didn't take any acid. I enjoyed the whole show, but I, I'm pretty sure I had... I had uh, I was a little altered, and I did have some I did have some champagne that they handed down from the stage, so that was that was cool. I'd never had champagne before, so you know we were stoned on acid and the chicks, you know the booze, the music. I mean, it was it was cool. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So there was a lot of pot and hashish and. Uh, I didn't say the blue acid or the brown acid or any of that bad stuff that gave so many people problems, but uh, um, it was a party. 
it was time for us to go on, one o'clock. And uh, of course, everyone was nervous, you know, I mean, geez, look what we got to do. And uh, we started playing and things were moving. And as the songs came about, it got more energy and the band was really starting to get off. And not only that, but the people were starting to get off. What was really amazing about it, they never heard about us before. We didn't have any airplay, no records out, or nothing. We had just something out of the blue, as far as they're concerned, meaning the people watching. Santana came out, everybody played percussion for them. We used uh, soda cans and sticks and just played percussion for the whole thing. I was blown away myself. I mean, that was an exciting part of playing that show was to see where we were playing and who we were playing to. One of the things I was able to find was one of the original Life magazine special edition issues. And inside, it's very um, fragile, is a picture of me. This is my little VW microbus. I was there. So I have a, a journal that I think I lost my pen towards the end because it's not complete. But uh, Richie Havens played Windows of Experience and Stranger, that's what the song he broke his string on. Uh, Saturday at about 2.50, Country Joe and the Fish performed um, and did the fish cheer, of course, and uh, feel like I'm fixing to die rag, a Vietnam War protest song. And then the Grateful Dead, and that was Dare I say it, one disappointment of the concert. They were uh, enjoying themselves a bit too much to play cohesively. <laughs> and uh, about 8.25 p.m., I must have lost my pen shortly after that. <laughs> that's where it ends on Sunday. I think what blows my mind the most when I think back is that I don't remember being hungry. I don't remember being tired. I don't remember if I ate or slept, but I was comfortable and everybody helped each other. Like no other place, like no other world, it was different. When you look over the field, you get this sense of peace and it's, it's almost a, like a spiritual um, type of, of, a, of a sensation and you just, every year I go back and just stare at that field. I, I love it, I, it's, it draws you.
gentleman with us. The gentleman upon whose farm we are, Mr. Max Yasger. I'm a farmer. I don't know. I don't know how to speak to 20 people at one time, let alone a crowd like this. But I think you people have proven something to the world. Not only to town of Bethel or Sullivan County or New York State, you've proven something to the world. This is the largest group of people ever assembled in one place. We have had no idea that there would be this size group. And because of that, you've had quite a few inconveniences as far as water and food and so forth. Your producers have done a mammoth job to see that you're taken care of. They enjoy a vote of thanks. But above that, the important thing that you've proven to the world is that a half a million kids, and I call you kids because I have children older than you are, a half a million young people can get together and have three days of fun and music and have nothing but fun and music. And I God bless you for it.
That's near enough for jazz. I'd like to say thank you again to you. <laughs> yeah. This is a thing called I'm Going Home by Helicopter. <laughs> Where you walk, 
how, 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 how,
love you, baby. I've gone home. Yeah, home. Oh, baby, home. I go home. I go home. Home, baby. Look out, babe, I'm coming to get you one more time. Go on, huh? In the summer of 1969, a music festival of peace and love organically came together. Well, there's a little more to the story than that. Welcome to Watch Mojo's Top 5 Facts. In this installment, we're counting down the five most interesting things that we could learn about the iconic Woodstock Music and Art Fair. I think you people have proven something to the world. Number five, one month before Woodstock, Wallkill banned the hippies. Woodstock took place over four days, but the concert itself was not held in Woodstock, and this was because locals in Woodstock, New York, initially rejected the proposed location. And so the promoters then selected nearby Wallkill as a potential spot. However, in early July 1969, the town passed a law that required an official permit for crowds of over 5,000. Of course, the festival was destined to be much larger than that, with organizers saying there would be 50,000 concert goers. I've never seen anything like this, man. Skeptical across the board, the Wallkill Zoning Board officially rejected the concert's permit applications on July 15th, leaving the promoters in search of someone, anyone, that had the means and opportunity to play host. There's a lot of joy in music, Mr. Yasker. 
And we'd love to bring that joy to your beautiful farm. And they found the guy in dairy farmer Max Yasger. A half a million young people can get together and have three days of fun and music and have nothing but fun and music. And I got pleasure for it. Number four, the promoters lied to give people what they wanted. He's got a permit. He's the president of the Chamber of Commerce. And because of that, you want to drown thousands of kids in a swamp? Since locals anticipated maybe 50,000 people, the promoters had to fib about their true intentions in order to execute a larger plan. They were actually hoping to sell 200,000 tickets. You could say that they lied about actually knowing how to pull it all off, too. They had some experience in promoting music festivals before, but nothing of the scale had ever been done. The publicity they received from getting kicked out of Wallkill helped them sell 186,000 tickets in presale, but the late venue change just didn't give them enough time to reorganize. Three days before the event, they decided that they had time and resources to either finish building the stage or to build fences and ticket booths. They went with the former, and that's when it became a free concert that 400,000 people showed up to. It's a free concert from now on. That doesn't mean that anything goes. What that means is we're going to put the music up here for free. Number three, this hippie love fest involved a lot of money. So even though it became free, Woodstock was initially born out of capitalism more than out of peace and love. A couple of entrepreneurs, Joel Rosenman and John P. Roberts, connected with some music insiders named Michael Lang and Artie Kornfeld and hatched the pie-in-the-sky concert idea as a money-making venture. What does it cost to put one of these things together? Fortune. Tickets cost between $18 and $24, or roughly $115 and $160 in today's dollars, and they sold about $1.8 million worth of them. That left them with about a $1.2 million shortfall, though. From what I read in the papers, Mr. Roberts, you've already spent a million dollars in Wallkill, and you've only got until the 15th till your festival. Peace and love is expensive, and the artist certainly didn't play for free either, with the talent budget reaching nearly $200,000. In fact, Hendrix was the highest paid musician at $18,000. It took over a decade for Roberts and Rosenman to get out of debt because of the concert. Insanely, Woodstock didn't have any official merchandise for sale. No hats, no hoodies, no frisbees, nothing. But scratcher! Butt scratcher! Get your butt scratcher here! Number two, the weekend created 400,000 hungry, hungry hippies. Putting upstate communities in an uproar at this major hippie invasion. Given the chaos and confusion that went into setting up Woodstock, the organizers had a lot on their plate. As for the actual plates of attendees... You hungry? I'm starving. Well, the promoters had some explaining to do when the entire operation was literally devoid of food by nightfall of opening day. Trying to get the people fed, I would say, is one of the main... Uh, objectives we have right now, all these young fellas here, they've got to be fed and they're going to get hungry. Locals had to volunteer to make pickle sandwiches due to the complete lack of food. We made 5,000 sandwiches. Oh, Vilma, don't exaggerate. We made 4,000. The Air Force airlifted in 10,000 sandwiches. Some enterprising folks set up makeshift booths in the woods. There wasn't a whole lot of food there, but what there was was shared by all. A lack of food may have been a blessing in disguise, actually, since the portable toilet situation was nowhere near adequate. Amazingly, despite the negligence, Woodstock remained pretty chill, and there were no reports of violence, aside from one report of some vigilantes burning down the booth of a price gouger overnight. Number one, thanks to rain delays, Jimi Hendrix performed at 8.30 a.m. As the closing act of Woodstock, Jimi Hendrix played to a unique and vastly diminished crowd on Monday, August 18, 1969. And considering the 8.30 a.m. start time, well, not everybody was there, so to speak. 
In fact, the audience had dwindled down to right around 30,000, a fraction of the 400,000 that once filled the makeshift venue. And while the late guitarist is considered a rock legend today, not everybody stuck around to get experienced. Yet those who remained got to see one of the most iconic live performances in rock history, and one of the most defining moments of the decade, as Hendrix played a full two hours leading up to a distorted rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. So, which of these facts surprised you the most? And do you know anyone who attended Woodstock? Or how about Woodstock 99? For more far-out top 10s and shirtless top 5s, be sure to subscribe to WatchMojo.com. See you again. Beautiful.
Listen. I would like to thank you all for joining me tonight, even though I was not coming apart. Thank you, Brett Stoltz, 68, who just left. <laughs> Along with my sister, Deb, uh, Pink Warrior 218 was also listening in with, uh, with Brett. Thanks for coming, guys. Duck Northwest Media, Eric Lang. Good to see you, man. Ford Prefect, of course. Always good to have you with us, brother. And other people's eyes, my pal Oaks. Yeah, thanks for showing up, everybody. This is a last call for e-cocktails, but don't worry about cleaning up. Stuyvesant's got that part handled. Have a happy and safe remainder of the weekend. And just remember, I love me some y'all. So long, everybody. Grottoians, the best radio audience ever. Good night, everybody. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.